Catholic Life Podcast. I am Matthew, the author of A Catholic Life, welcoming you to episode 37 of the A Catholic Life Podcast. In today's episode, published on the Feast of Christ the King, I address the following two topics. First, the Feast of Christ the King, its spirituality, indulgences for today, and its history, and why this is such an important feast day that we keep today. I will, of course, also cover why we are celebrating the Feast of Christ the King today, the last Sunday of October, and how that differs in the Novus Ordo calendar. And secondly, I address All Hallows Tide, that is, Halloween, All Saints Day, and All Souls Day. This triduum of days coming up later this week is a great source of spiritual benefits for all of us, and, of course, for the souls in purgatory. So I'll be sharing much information regarding these different days and the different traditions, indulgences, and practice for each of these distinct days. But before I do so, I would like to stop and thank the sponsor for today's episode. This episode is sponsored by catechismclass.com. Catechismclass.com is the leader in online Catholic education courses, offering everything from online children's K-12 through grade programs through adult continuing education. If you're an adult who wants to convert to the Catholic faith or simply wants to learn more, these are the courses for you. So as I go over information today for All Saints Day, for All Souls Day, for Halloween, for Christ the King. They have lessons for all of these particular days in the liturgical calendar and so much more. So please take your faith seriously and for very affordable, low prices, sign up for some of the great courses today on catechismclass.com, which uniquely blend scripture readings, traditional catechism passages, prayers, activities, the writings of the saints, and so much more. Catechismclass.com is the gold standard in authentic Catholic formation online. So please refer to catechismclass.com today. On to the first topic of today's episode is the Feast of Christ the King. Each year the Church celebrates the Feast of Christ the King and gloriously acknowledges the kingship of Jesus Christ. According, of course, to the traditional Roman calendar, the Feast of Our Lord Jesus Christ as King falls on the last Sunday of October, and the primary theme surrounding this particular feast day is our need to allow our Blessed Lord to be the ruler of our lives, that is, all facets of our lives. He must reign in our hearts, in our homes, in our nation, in our society, in every single aspect of society. There is no place where we can say that the church and the state should be truly separated. Christ the King must influence every single aspect of daily life, of national life, of the life of all of society. And of course, Jesus Christ is not just King of the Saints or King of Catholics. He is King of all creation from one eternity to the other. For not only did he create all that exists, he redeemed all of mankind to restore creation to a greater glory. He deserves all glory, all honor, and all praise. Jesus Christ himself is thus king of the universe, the king of all creation, the, thing, the king of all things 
seen and unseen. The Feast of Christ the King was originally established by Pope Pius XI in 1925 as an antidote to secularism, a way of life which leaves God out of man's thinking and living and organizes his life as if God did not exist. This feast is therefore intended to proclaim, in a striking and effective manner, Christ's royalty over individuals, families, society, governments, and nations. Today's Mass established the titles for Christ's royalty over men. One, Christ is God, the creator of the universe, and hence wields a supreme power over all things, seen and unseen. Two, Christ is Redeemer. He purchased us by his blood and made us his property and possession. And three, Christ is head of the church, holding all things the primacy. And four, God bestowed upon Christ the nations of the world as his special possession, as his inheritance, and his dominion. Today's Mass also describes the quality of Christ's kingdom. His kingdom is one supreme, that is extending not only to all peoples, but to all their princes and kings and everyone entirely. Two, it is universal, extends to all nations and to all places. Three, it is eternal, for the Lord shall sit as king forever. And four, it is spiritual, since Christ's kingdom is not of this world. Now, if you're interested in reading more, the encyclical of Pope Pius XI, released on December 11, 1925, Quas Primus, is the gold standard in reading and understanding the spirituality of the Feast of Christ the King. I also would be remiss if I did not note that there is a special indulgence granted to the faithful today who piously recite the act of dedication to the human race to Jesus Christ the King. A plenary indulgence is granted if it is recited publicly on the Feast of our Lord Jesus Christ the King. Hopefully parishes are going to organize after Mass, would be a great time to do so, the public recitation of this, the act of dedication of the human race to Jesus Christ the King. I will have a link in the show notes to the Feast of Christ the King page on my website, and on that page is a link to that particular prayer, which you can print off or which you can say online if your parish is not organizing this to be said publicly. It can at least be said privately. The prayer, the traditional one, not the modern one, was composed by Leo the Thirteenth. It is really a wonderful prayer. And again, even if your parish is not organizing the public recitation of this prayer, it can and should be said at least as an individual, if not as a family, today, this particular Sunday, the Feast of Christ the King. Unfortunately, like so much else in the traditional calendar, this feast was somewhat dismantled after uh, Vatican II. It was placed as uh, on the last Sunday before Advent, kind of as a capstone of the year. But um, if anybody's familiar with the traditional Mass, they'll know that the spirituality of those final weeks is really centered over the last coming and the end of the world and Christ coming again. And thus the first readings of Advent are really over the same topic as well. So it's almost like <clears throat> the liturgical year is a circle. It goes from that theme and then it enters that theme. And then we, and then we of course, go on to 
read more about the advent of the Messiah and we celebrate his arrival at Christmas. But by arbitrarily placing this feast day as a capstone to the liturgical year rather than where it was traditionally placed on the last Sunday of October, we lose that continuity of one week to the other with readings about the end of time and the last judgment, and that really was decoupled. So it's important, of course, that we, tradi- we keep the traditional liturgical calendar for many reasons, uh, and, and that is just simply one aspect of why. On to the second topic, though, of today's episode, I would like to cover All Hallows Tide. That is the three days. The first day, Halloween, known as the Eve of All Saints Day or the Vigil of All Saints or All Hallows Eve, all different names for this day. The day after, All Saints Day is a holy day of obligation, and the day after that is All Souls Day. And every particular day has a different focus. So for Halloween, that is October 31st. This year, it's going to fall on a Tuesday. It is the day, of course, before All Saints Day. And what's important to note is that for a very, very long time, this was a mandatory day of fasting and abstinence. That is, again, a mandatory day of fasting and abstinence. So the year 1955 saw some of the most significant changes to the Church's liturgy since the Council of Trent. Pope Pius XII, on December 25, 1955, abolished 15 different octaves, in addition to the octave for the dedication of the Church, in particular octaves for patrons of various religious orders, countries, dioceses, etc., He also abolished roughly half of all vigils, leading to the removal of the liturgical vigils of the Immaculate Conception, of the Epiphany, of all saints, and of all the different apostles' vigils except the vigil of Saints Peter and Paul, thus reducing the number of liturgical vigils down to seven. And as I mentioned right then, the vigil of all saints was thus abolished as the liturgical day it was for a significant number of centuries, because of the changes made by Pope Pius XII in 1955. Now, beforehand, this was still a mandatory day of fasting and abstinence. And uncertainty, therefore, existed on whether or not fasting, and therefore abstinence also, was still required on October 31st, the Vigil of All Saints, after those particular changes. And the reason why there was some uh, disagreement uh, was because... Pope Pius XII's decree abolishing abolishing these vigils made no mention whatsoever to the fasting and absence. So what happened is the U.S. bishops requested an official determination from Rome on whether the practice of fasting and abstinence on the now-suspended Vigil of All Saints had been terminated. They received a pre-printed notice in a response dated March 15, 1957, which stated, quote, The decree of the Sacred Congregation of Rites looks simply to the liturgical part of the day and does not touch the obligation of fast and abstinence that are penitential preparation for the following feast day, end quote. The U.S. bishops, therefore, after they received this, dispensed both the fast and the then partial abstinence law for the Vigil of All Saints. Beforehand, there was a significant number of years where it was uh, an obligatory day of complete absence. The fact that it was partial absence had only been added a few years beforehand, really. However, though, for those of us striving to retain our traditions, the Vigil All Saints is still an important and worthwhile day for us to keep as a fasting day. 
and as a day of absence. And this, of course, is in sharp contrast to the way the world treats Halloween, which is a day of really pagan displays and a, a day of you know eating significant amounts of candy and such, but it should be a day of penance for the next day before it. But for those Catholics who do, of course, want to still observe Halloween in a Catholic way, I have a separate article on my website with some ideas. And as we have several days left to prepare for Halloween, here are some ideas if you do have children come to your house for trick-or-treating. You can pass out different medals, different holy cards, and you you can do this as a means to evangelize. So not, of course, only just putting candy in a child's basket, but St. Benedict holy cards or St. Michael holy cards, holy cards of the gospel or, or medals of, of the guardian angels or St. Benedict's medals. Of course, if you can get those blessed, those should really be blessed before we distribute them so that way the children who have it will have a true sacramental. Uh, St. Paul Street Evangelization offers many of these different items at very low prices if you buy them in bulk and you're looking to distribute them. Even Amazon ha- has different uh, bundles as well. So if we do want to participate in Halloween, it's important to understand that we do not make it a day of paganism, modernism, liberalism, that hedonism and materialism, that we keep it as a day of fasting, as a day of absence, and we dress appropriately, um, ideally, you know, with saints' costumes or at least a, a pious and an appropriate costume, and that we try to do what we can to, in addition to passing out treats, we pass out ways to evangelize. And hopefully some of these ultimately end up in the use uh, of the children and of the adults. And just one other thing to caution to keep in mind, of course, if you're passing out some of these smaller objects, they really should not be passed out to very young children where it could be a choking hazard. So, of course, keep all of this uh, in mind for Halloween. Now, the next day, All Saints Day, November 1st, very important to put that on your calendar. This year, that's going to fall on a Wednesday. That is a holy day of obligation. Mass attendance is required in almost all countries on November 1st. That is the Feast of All Saints. Um, the feast day of All Saints is very historic. It really goes back uh, around the uh, you know the 600s is really where it goes back to. In, in the West, bon, Pope Boniface the Fourth in um, on May 13th of either 609 or 610, both of those dates show up in the Catholic Encyclopedia. Consecrated the Pantheon in Rome to the honor of the Blessed Virgin Mary and all the martyrs, and he ordered it as a day to be kept as an anniversary. Now, beforehand, the Pantheon was a pagan temple, and of course, after the legalization of Christianity, it would not turn into a church for several hundred more years. Pope Gregory III, who reigned from 734 to 741, consecrated a chapel in the Basilica of St. Peter to all the saints, and he fixed the anniversary for that uh, celebration to November 1st. A Basilica of the Apostles already existed in Rome, and his dedication was annually remembered on May the 1st. And uh, so that's really the origin of where and why we're keeping the Feast of All Saints on November 1st. It goes back to the very early church. It is not a medieval invention, it is not a modern invention. It goes back before the year 700. Uh, Pope Gregory IV, he reigned from 827 to 844, extended the celebration of November 1st to the entire church. Now, in addition to that, there was a vigil. That is, of course, Halloween, the Vigil of All Saints. It uh, seems, this is per the Catholic Encyclopedia, seems to have been held 
as early as the feast day itself. And of course, it was kept as a day of fasting and absence for centuries. And for those familiar with the traditional Roman calendar before the changes in 1955, they'll note that the the celebration of all saints has an octave. And this octave of all saints was added by Pope Sixtus IV, who reigned in the years 1471 to 1484. So that octave as well is also hundreds of years old. It's important to note that there's wonderful indulgences that we can earn on All Saints Day. One of those is the famous totus quotus indulgence. And here's what uh, it says, quote, From noon of All Saints Day through midnight of All Souls Day, the Catholic faithful, as often as they visit a church to pray for the dead, reciting six times during each visit the Our Father, Hail Mary, and Glory Be for the intentions of the Holy Mother Church, may gain a plenary indulgence applicable only to the souls in purgatory under the usual conditions of making a good confession within a week before or after, worthily receiving Holy Communion within the week, and having the right intention of heart." End quote. Now, there are other prayers and indulgences which we can do, and one of the most famous of those is, this is also mentioned, the visit to cemeteries. The faithful who during the period of eight days from the commemoration of all souls, that is November 2nd, inclusive, visit a cemetery in a spirit of piety and devotion and pray, even mentally, for the dead, may gain a plenary indulgence on the usual conditions on each day of that octave, applicable only to the dead. So uh, in addition to those tutus usque indulgence, we can go to a church, a parish, uh, an oratory. Uh, We can walk in, we can recite these prayers kneeling, and then we can walk out. And then we can literally turn around and walk in again, and we can repeat the whole thing again. There's actually a tradition of this being kept a long time ago. I believe this was right before the World War I time frame, where is if you had, um, and this was really the case with the Benedictine order, if you had the St. Benedict medal, it was a privilege that you could do that. And uh, that privilege and ability was extended to everybody. So you didn't need the sacramental. The church extended it. So we can literally go to the church that day from noon, leave a few minutes later, walk in, repeat the whole thing again. As long as we're in the state of grace and as long as we are meeting those usual conditions, of course, of a good confession within a week before after, Holy Communion, also again within the same time frame, and having the right intention of heart, that is, trying to be as free from attachment to all sin as possible, as well as desiring to gain the indulgence. If you don't desire to gain the indulgence, you don't gain the indulgence. If we have those and we fulfill those, we can do so much to reap up treasure for souls, all the souls in purgatory who need to get to heaven, to join the saints who we're celebrating on November 1st, need our prayers. So whatever you're doing, put it on the calendar now. November church, you're visiting a church or multiple ones, multiple times in and out, praying those prayers for the good of souls. And again, there's much more information in the show notes that I will link to for this particular feast day. And again, November 2nd, which I've covered briefly, is the Feast of All Souls. Unlike All Saints Day, All Souls Day is not a holy day of obligation. This day dates back to the 11th century in the Universal Church, and it's a time to remember all the faithful, baptized, departed, and pray that they are now in heaven. 
in the year 998, St. Odillo, the abbot of Cluny in France, said that all his monasteries were to offer special prayers and sing the office for the dead on November 2nd, the day after the Feast of All Saints. The custom spread throughout Cluny and was adopted throughout the entire Roman Catholic Church. Now the entire church observes November 2nd as All Saints Day, and this is the basis for the Dia de los Muertos observed in Mexico and in many Hispanic countries. You'll find that in Chicago and in other parts of America where there's a heavy Hispanic population. Priests typically on Sundays uh, and Christmas aside, as the exceptions, may only say Mass once a day, actually. Uh, Unless there's great reasons, of course, but I'm not going to go into that right now. But typically... Unless Sundays or, or Christmas, which has an exception, priests say are allowed only to say it, the Holy Sacrifice of Mass once a day. However, during the First World War, Pope Benedict XV on August 10th, 1915, allowed all priests everywhere to say three distinct Masses on All Saints Day, and they all have different propers. The two extra Masses were in no way to benefit the priest himself. One was to be offered for all the faithful departed, and the other for the Pope's intentions, which at that time were presumed to be for all victims of war. And that permission retains today. So if you can, find a traditional Latin Mass and attend all three Masses offered in this day for all souls. I've done it once. I know it can be difficult to find, but if you find a priest able and willing to say all three Masses consecutively, it is a truly unique experience that some people have put on their Catholic bucket list, so to speak. Of course, it's a traditional and pious practice to pray for the dead. It is not only part of the Church's official teachings, but it's mentioned throughout the Holy Scriptures, especially in the book of Maccabees, where it says, quote, It is a holy and wholesome thought to pray for the dead, that they may be loosed from their sins. And Tertullian, in the year 230 AD, writes, quote, The widow who does not pray for her dead husband has as good as divorced him. End quote. I'll have more information in the show notes, of course, for more devotions and indulgences for uh, All Souls Day as well. The one of which is the most common I've mentioned is to go to the cemetery from All Souls Day and for the, you know, the octave afterwards through November 8th and to pray there, if only mentally, at least to the faithful departed. It does not explicitly state it needs to be a Catholic cemetery, but of course, it really should be. So please, go there. Bring your family. Say the rosary there. Pray the Office of the Dead, perhaps, as well. Bring holy water. Sprinkle in some of the grapes. Look at the actual names and say a prayer for that particular soul to be in heaven. This is one of the great works of mercy we can do. These are great opportunities coming up this week. Today, Christ is king over all hearts and souls, and we remember he is the king of all of us for all times, even of the souls in purgatory who need him. Thanks be to God that the souls in purgatory have been spared the fires of hell forever. They will not go to hell. They will one day go to heaven, and we have an awesome responsibility and a unique privilege to be able to assist them on their journey. So let us make haste. Let us do what we can this week for the good of souls. May God grant you a most blessed week. Thank you for listening. Ad maiorum, Dei Glorium. Quid olis peccata, 